And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great and maybe a fateful day. Uh, The United States has struck 85 targets in uh, Syria and Iraq. Targets involving uh, Iranian forces, including the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and uh, the Al-Quds Force, uh, people who are stationed from Iran in uh, Iraq and Syria and who have helped to plan some of the 160 prior attacks on American resources and personnel. Uh, A senior administration official just moments ago told CNN the United States will not strike inside Iran only focuses on targets outside of the country. Striking inside Iran would have been a huge escalation, and officials have telegraphed that was unlikely to happen. Uh, The U.S. officials have known for a few days now that the first strikes would happen tonight, the official added. Uh, The strikes were not coordinated with the uh, dignified transfer of the remains of the three U.S. service members who were killed uh, over the weekend. The timing of the strikes involved many factors, including weather conditions. Uh, President Biden is being updated on the progress of the ongoing strikes. Uh, Meanwhile, over at Fox News, uh, they spoke uh, to Senator Lindsey Graham. He said he is unimpressed with the retaliatory airstrikes the U.S. has launched in the last hour. Uh, this according to Fox News's Chad Pergram. Uh, the lapse of time has lessened the impact of deterrence, Senator Graham told Fox. And by not hitting oil infrastructure in Iran or Revolutionary Guard personnel, uh, you will have failed to make the point. Well, I'm not sure that they have avoided hitting Revolutionary Guard personnel because there are many uh, outposts and stations and uh, concentrations of Revolutionary Guard Corps personnel in Iraq and Syria, and those have been perhaps among the 85 targets. These strikes come nearly a week after three U.S. service members were killed in a drone strike on a base in Jordan by Iranian-backed militia groups. A number of lawmakers have also expressed concern about the War Powers Authority uh, to execute strikes, uh, be it today's action or the regular exchanges the U.S. has been engaged in for weeks with the Houthis. Uh, we will be speaking coming up to uh, Michael Rubin of AEI about what the uh, next move will be and should be Uh, for defending American interests. Uh, There's also, of course, a very real risk that Iran uh, strikes back by going after America's ally in Israel, even though Israel has had nothing to do particularly with the, uh, the Iranian attempts to strike American forces in, in the area. Uh, The, um, 
the situation in Gaza also getting more serious as the Israelis move down to Rafah, which is toward the Egyptian border. And all of this at a time when the reports had been for the last 24 hours that there was progress in negotiations that were taking place in Paris, uh, supervised by the Qataris, and uh, negotiations involving Hamas and the Israelis to try to get the remainders of the hostages back safely at uh, the same time that they would be having an extended ceasefire that would allow other negotiations, the Biden administration insisting that those negotiations should at least lay the groundwork for more uh, important negotiations that would uh, help clear the way for a uh, disarmed uh, and presumably peaceful uh, Palestinian state. What uh, clearly the Israelis have no uh, possibility of doing or approving at any time under any circumstances would be a Palestinian state that would resemble the terrorist-ruled uh, situation in Gaza. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, there's another story that I, I do want to get to because it's deeply significant, potentially. Uh, California state lawmakers today introduced a slate of reparations bills, uh, including a proposal to restore property taken by race-based cases of eminent domain and a potentially unconstitutional measure to provide state funding for specific groups. Uh, this is a story from Politico. The package marks a first-in-the-nation effort to give restitution to black Americans who have been harmed by centuries of racist policies and practices. California's legislative push is the culmination of years of research and debate, endless debate, including 111 pages of recommendations issued last year by a state task force. Other states, including Colorado, New York, and Massachusetts, have also commissioned reparation studies or tax forces, but California is the first to attempt to turn those ideas into law. Now, let's get this straight. What we're talking about is this has not been enacted into law. This is a, a slate of proposals. There are 14 major proposals that uh, are going to be uh, placed before the California legislature. Uh, the 14 measures introduced by the Legislative Black Caucus touch on education, civil rights, and criminal justice, including reviving a years-old effort to restrict solitary confinement that failed to uh, make it uh, out of the state legislature as recently as last year. This whole idea that a solitary confinement has to do uh, with the uh, history that solitary confinement was more frequently used uh, to uh, deal with uh, black prisoners than uh, with uh, people of other ethnic groups. Uh, not included, they say in Politico, and this is epic, not included in the slate of proposals is any type of financial compensation to descendants of black slaves, a polarizing proposal 
that has received a cool response uh, from many state Democrats, including Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, the new package does have a provision that would make uh, some monetary relief available. The proposed bill uh, would deal with property takings. It would, quote, restore property uh, taken during uh, race-based uses of eminent domain to its original owners or to provide another effective remedy where appropriate, such as restitution or compensation. Look, one of the advantages about this is that California is one of those states that never had slavery and never had slavery even when it was uh, a Mexican state, uh, when uh, it it was controlled by Mexico before 1848. And, uh, And Spain, no slavery. Uh, And California was admitted to the Union in 1850 as a state that uh, banned slavery. It was a state that was predominantly anti-slavery. So at least this is not based upon trying to find people who experience slavery somehow living in California. Uh, The plan uh, would have all kinds of constitutional challenges we will keep you posted as this story develops. We're also going to be speaking with Michael Rubin of American Enterprise Institute about a friend of the show, Michael Rubin, who is a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute. He is also the director of policy analysis at the Middle East Forum, and he is deeply informed uh, through personal experience and academic study and more Uh, about the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, The uh, strikes have begun, uh, apparently uh, 185 targets, they say, were hit by American forces uh, this evening in uh, the Middle East. Is this the uh, sort of response, the sort of attack that you would have expected, Michael? Uh, do you think it is the kind of response that is well advised? Well, I would have expected a response. And this would be the type of response, Michael, that I would expect from the Biden administration. I'm not trying to be overly partisan here, but what sets this response from that of previous administrations, if we go back to, for example, Bill Clinton with Operation Desert Fox in 1998, or President Donald Trump with the strike on Qasem Soleimani, is that they relied upon the element of surprise. We actually went so far as to talk about this for several days, talk about what the targets might be, and then we went so far as to tell them what days the targeting would occur. It's almost as if the Biden administration is trying to have it both ways. On one hand, they want to militarily virtue signal, But on the other hand, they're warning the targets to leave, the Iranians to leave, so that we damage empty buildings but don't risk um, escalation. And that's not the way deterrence works. That actually sends a a signal to Iran that in the future they can get away with murder. Would you have uh, suggested then a more immediate response with uh, some element of surprise? I absolutely would have. You know, in the bowels of the Pentagon, 
They have targeting encyclopedias where, I mean, you have 25,000 people in the Pentagon. Uh, you have even more in the intelligence community. And their job, for example, within the Defense Intelligence Agency is to monitor these sites round the clock. They to know and to enter into systems where the coordinates of this. And so if the White House or the National Security Advisor asks for a list of 12 targets, the Pentagon in theory can provide that within an hour. The fact that we took several days seems rather deliberate. Do you expect that there will be some uh, uh, high-profile attempt by Iran to strike back, to respond to these American attacks, even though they're not on Iranian territory? And will they strike back at more American facilities, or do you think they would strike back directly at Israel? Well, first of all, they're going to continue striking at Israel, uh, by proxy at least, because that's what the Iranians do. It's ideological. And when I say the Iranians, of course, I mean the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and the regime. The Iranians themselves have no beef in general with Israel. But when it comes to the United States, look, I'm afraid they're going to strike at the United States not in revenge for these strikes, not a so-called cycle of violence, but rather because we've undercut deterrence, we've shown weakness by telegraphing. It's easy enough to rebuild a building. What can't be replaced so easily are the generals and the advisors of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps by signaling that we're not interested in them, not interested in removing them from the battlefield. That actually sends a signal to the Iranians that they really aren't going to be held to account should they continue these attacks. Now, the Iraqi, what I suspect will happen, Michael, is the Iraqis or certain militias inside Iraq will raise will raise umbrage and demand the Americans withdrawal. They're going to use this to put pressure on Prime Minister Mohammed Shial Sadani in order to demand that the Americans leave and leave quickly. The question is whether Sudani, who probably deep down doesn't want the Americans to go, how he's going to handle that issue. Because without Americans there to defend his regime, his regime is not uh, one of the most secure in the Middle East, is it? Well, the way I would describe it very quickly, Michael, is that Iraq is a weak state. Everyone knows that. When I, and I go to Iraq quite frequently. Um, the way the Iraqis put it is they need both the Americans and the Iranians there so they can tell the Iranians, we can't do what you demand because the Americans wouldn't go for it and vice versa. And that's how the Iraqis have independent diplomatic space. If one or the other withdraws, they're afraid that they're going to lose their own leverage and lose their space to act autonomously. It sounds like John Bolton, uh, the former National Security Advisor, has uh, just released a statement which seems to uh, echo uh, some of what uh, you are saying, Michael Rubin, of American Enterprise Institute. John Bolton says Biden's failure to establish any degree of deterrence against Iran culminated in today's actions. Killing Americans is a red line that should be answered with strikes directly at Iran, not proxies. They need to know the seriousness of our objection to their belligerence. Please turn your thoughts toward Americans in harm's way and pray for their safe return and success. Uh, your comment? Well, here's where I would differ with John, and I consider John a good friend. 
I wouldn't hesitate to target Iranians, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps generals, outside of Iran. What I would be worried about is by targeting Iran itself, essentially symbolic action. What you're doing is allowing the regime, which has lost tremendous legitimacy, and we all remember the woman life freedom movement, you would be allowing the regime to wrap itself in the nationalist flag. And so I wouldn't want to be in a situation where I'm snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Let the Iranian regime collapse on its own and remove from the battlefield, kill any Iranian general or colonel or operative that we see anywhere in the Middle East. I was speaking with Michael Rubin of American Enterprise Institute. Um, Michael, I know that uh, there has been tremendous speculation about these negotiations going on being supervised apparently by the Qataris, uh, negotiations involving the United States, Israel, and Hamas to try to get a final release of the remaining hostages, a uh, six-week or longer ceasefire, and uh, laying uh, the the uh, framework for the creation of some kind of a peaceful, disarmed, safe Palestinian state. Uh, does this attack on Iranian targets, 185 of them, does that put an end to those efforts to mitigate uh, some of the conflict in, uh, in Gaza? We will get to that and to more with Michael Rubin, uh, who's also the Director of Policy Analysis. And on the Michael Medved Show with another Michael, Michael Rubin, who is a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute and who is Director of Policy Analysis at the Middle East Forum. Um, Michael, right before the break, I was asking you about these stories that have been uh, circulating throughout the international press about negotiations that apparently were far advanced toward a new ceasefire in uh, Gaza, uh, perhaps a return of most, if not all, of the remaining Israeli hostages who are being held by Hamas and uh, making progress toward recognition of uh, Israel by uh, Saudi Arabia, which would be a huge step. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, these attacks today by the United States against uh, forces that have actually attacked and murdered Americans, uh, will that uh, derail any of these attempts at negotiation regarding the ongoing war in Gaza? Short answer, Michael, is no. And first of all, when it comes to the hostage negotiation, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. Remember in the past, Hamas held Israeli hostages for as long as five years. They know that by holding those hostages, they not only have some leverage, but they can delay any further Israeli onslaught. And the Americans want to see that delay, because even though the Americans conducted much more brutal urban warfare against the Islamic State in Mosul and Raqqa in Syria, the Biden administration is is fearful 
that this conflict is going to spread. It could spread to, for example, a war between Israel and Lebanon, where Hezbollah is. So those negotiations are going to continue. There's going to be any number of leaks about what the shape of those negotiations are. But ultimately, I suspect we're only going to see a, a partial deal. And even that partial deal will be difficult. Remember, in the last hostage negotiation, Hamas actually violated it by not releasing the children, by not releasing some of the female hostages, and so forth. Um, that said, the big concern which the Biden administration has is the war with Lebanon. And it comes to the Saudi-Palestinian um, uh, Saudi recognition of Israel for Israeli recognition of a Palestinian state. The danger there would be, A, signaling that through terrorism you can win what you want, and B, do we really think that this Palestinian state is going to be like Singapore, or is it going to be a terror sponsor from day one? Hamas isn't simply going to go away. Uh, they claim they want from the river to the sea. They want the genocide against all Jews, against Israel. So, I mean, we're going to we're fooling ourselves if we think there's a magic formula that's going to uh, finish this um, this problem. Are, are you a little bit surprised, uh, as as I am, to the best of my knowledge, President Biden hasn't delivered a message to the country yet, to our country, uh, on this uh, Friday afternoon, a Friday evening in some places, uh, about what it is we are doing and what it is we hope to accomplish? If and when um, President Biden does speak to the country, what should he say? Well, first of all, when President Biden spoke after uh, the Israel-Hamas war started, he spoke with remarkable moral clarity. Um, it's almost like his aides let the core Biden through. Perhaps his aides don't want Biden uh, speaking right now because either they feel he can't do it effectively or because of political complications. Um, but what Biden should basically say is, you know, if you attack Americans, if you kill Americans, you will not get away um, with murder. That you are going by, by the to way, suffer this, far greater consequences. This is a re remarkable. This just this moment has been released. President Biden released a statement on the U.S. airstrikes in Iraq and Syria in response to the deadly drone attack in Jordan that killed three service members. In his statement, President Biden said the United States does not see conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world. But let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. That's uh, well, fairly close to what you suggested. Well, unfortunately, it's because these things have become formulaic. What we actually see is by issuing a statement rather than by appearing live in a way where he could take questions, he can avoid key questions, such as the reason he telegraphed, telegraphed the times and the targets of our airstrikes. In uh, uh, the apparently the plans seem to be to have the airstrikes continue, uh, perhaps for several days. At uh, what point? would uh, the United States consider this job done? Uh, where could we feel that we have made a successful reestablishment of deterrence? 
Well, the corollary to this would be Operation Desert Fox in 1998 in Iraq when Iraq refused to allow U.N. inspectors to do their jobs. And so the agreement for Iraq to resume U.N. inspections was the success. In this case, Michael, it's going to be a lot murkier. We can claim success whenever we end this, but I don't see any any indication that we are degrading the Shiite militias and the Iranian proxies to an extent where it would do more than just delay them a week or two before they reemerge. And it's not likely that they will issue a uh, a ceasefire or some attempt to uh, say that, uh, okay, we, we've gotten the message, we're not going to continue attacking Americans. That's very unlikely, is it not? Actually, I wouldn't say that's unlikely, Michael. I would say that a sincere offer would be unlikely. You know, before this even started, you had the Kataib Hezbollah, one of these Iraqi groups, television stations voluntarily uh, shut down. You had others say that they would no longer attack Americans. But what you're basically saying is, I'm going to take the first punch. And then if I miss, or even if I hit you, then I'm going to sue for peace. It doesn't work that way in the real world. Uh, and so that that ultimately is the problem. I wouldn't trust any of these groups. But the wild card in all this, Michael, is if we actually take out one of the top leaders of these groups, like Kais Khazali, um, who is an up-and-coming Iraqi politician who controls this, or Hadi Amri, who's been trained by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and controls the Badr Corps. But I don't think Biden has it in him to basically do what Trump did to Qasem Soleimani four years ago. Um. In terms of uh, the ongoing uh, struggle in in Gaza, uh, you were suggesting that it it might not be out of the question that uh, together with this strike against Iranian interests, that there, there uh, actually would be some progress. Uh, do you think we'll get a hint of that soon? I think certainly we're going to uh, get a hint of an effort to have some sort of deal. The Qataris are working at this nonstop. That said, a lot of people are critical of the Qataris, including myself, who see it sort of as the firefighter taking credit for selling bottles of water. I mean, the arsonist taking credit for selling bottles of water. Uh, no, no arsonists, uh, but bottles of water available. Uh, information about, we unfortunately didn't get a chance to talk about your trip to Cuba. You just came back. Uh, from uh, Cuba. This is post-Castro Cuba, uh, but not exactly a garden spot at the moment. Uh, coming up on the Medved Show, for people who want more lighthearted uh, alternatives uh, for the weekend, there are. there's a big new movie called Argyle with a big all-star cast and it is a comedy thriller about international espionage. Uh, we will tell you whether that's even worth your considering. That and more coming up on the Medved Show.